You know, as we begin uh, worship this morning and kind of prepare our hearts and our minds, I invite you to hear these words of wisdom from the Old Testament book of Proverbs. It's actually from Proverbs chapter 16, the first couple of verses. It says, mortals make elaborate plans, but God has the last word. Humans are satisfied with whatever looks good. God probes for what is good. Put God in charge of your work, and then what you've planned will take place. God made everything with a plan and a purpose. You know, God takes our lives and our plans personally. He involves himself in our life. King Solomon is trying to tell us that we need to trust God rather than trust our planning. Sometimes God's plans are intricate. Sometimes they go beyond our understanding. So we need to be patiently waiting on God as he completes his plan in our life. And if we are patient, we will participate in the greater plan that ultimately brings glory and honor to God himself. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for the many truths that are hidden in, within the precious pages of your word. And we pray that the plans and purposes of our hearts today will mirror the desire of your will for us. So thank you uh, that each of our lives are in your hands. And I pray that the plans for our lives will always be perfectly aligned with your word and with your will, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you a story quickly. Um, there's a story told about a group of businessmen who were on a flight together one day, and suddenly there was a decompression in the cabin, and oxygen masks fell from the ceiling, and the plane began this steep descent uh, toward the ground. And one of the men lifted his uh, oxygen mask off his face for a moment, and he shouted across the aisle at one of his companions, and he said, Jerry, you used to go to Sunday school when you were a boy. Pray for us. Say a prayer for us. And uh, Jerry shouted back, don't be stupid. The last time I prayed was 20 years ago. But his companions insisted that Jerry should pray. All right, said Jerry, and he proceeded to pray. He said, Lord... I haven't, I haven't bothered you for the last 20 years. And I promise that if you get us out of this fix, I won't bother you for the next 20 years. <laughs> you know, prayer is a wonderful privilege. Uh, God has opened the door for each of us to reach out in prayer anytime, anywhere. He has invited us into his presence with our concerns, with our joys, with our requests, and God has promised that he will hear us when we call out to him. He has even promised to answer our prayers in accordance with his will. We are in the third week of a new teaching series called Changed by Grace. And we're studying the Old Testament book of Jonah together. Now today we're going to learn more about prayer. But it's not the prayer of the prophet Jonah. It's a prayer by the pagan sailors who are on the ship. Uh, where Jonah has taken up residence on his way to uh, try to get away from God. Well, in case you haven't been here either of the last two weeks, we do encourage you to go on to our website or the Redeemer app. You can listen to the podcast of previous messages there, or we have printed copies available out in the lobby. This is a six-week series that kind of all builds on each other and ties together. So 
to get the most out of the series, we encourage you to uh, hear and, uh, each one uh, in the series. It's a tremendous story. We've been learning some great lessons uh, from this little book in the Old Testament, and I encourage you uh, to stick with it. Let's pray together, shall we? God, you are the one who sees all things. Uh, you know us when we are lost in the crowd, and you know us when we've, uh, we're out of step with the pace of life around us, and when we feel alone and even rejected. God, you are the one who hears us. You listen to us when we don't even know what we're saying and when words fall apart and all that escapes our mouth is silence. You are the one who is always there for us. We feel your touch in the breeze on our skin, your presence in the arms that embrace us, your life in the heart that beats inside of us. You are present and you are here and you are with us now. So help us to know this in a very real and personal way today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you heard the message last week, you know that we learned something about dealing with prodigals. Prodigals are those who have left uh, the path uh, toward God and gone their own way, decided that they didn't, don't need God in their life, gone to live uh, away from the, uh, all that uh, is holy. And God often, we talked about last week, God often sends storms uh, into our lives to get our attention when we are not following uh, the plan of God for our life. Sometimes he allows others to suffer uh, because of our, our sin, and sometimes he sends someone to challenge us, to call us back uh, to what we know uh, God is asking us to be and to do. When we left this story last week, the captain of the ship on which Jonah is riding uh, goes below deck and wakes uh, the sleeping Jonah up and asks him to start praying. Now, they are in the middle of a storm, a huge, uh, terrible storm, and don't know what to do, so he, uh, the captain asked Jonah to start praying to his God. Now, as innocent as that may sound, it was really quite a rebuke of Jonah. There are lots of uh, people in our culture today, as you know, who may not see the value in going to church, who may not want to hear a teaching on Scripture or even give credence to the Bible. But when the storms of life come, when the struggles of life hit them, they definitely want our prayers. And I think the lesson from last week was clear. The world is waiting for us to pray. The world wants us to pray. The, wonder, the world wonders why we don't pray more. Uh, they may not understand our doctrine. They may not be all that interested in our message, uh, but the world wants us to pray. Let me refresh your memory on how this story of Jonah uh, begins. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, some son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. 
Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jodah was sound asleep down in the hold, so the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. And then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Now, there are some great lessons uh, that I'd like for us to learn out of this story this morning. And the first one is that God is the one who exposes our disobedience. Jonah is now found out by the casting of lots, or as we might say today, the roll of the dice. It may seem like a chance happening that the sailors discovered who he was in this way, but as Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 reminds us, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. I love that, don't you? We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. See, casting lots during biblical times sometimes involved using different colored balls or rocks, mixing them together and seeing which one fell out of the bag first. In that sense, casting lots is a lot like rolling the dice. It appears to be a random act of chance. But as the scripture reminds us, God is the one behind the colored stones. He determines which one falls out of the bag first. You see, there are no accidents in life, no random events, no such thing as luck, even seemingly meaningless things fit into God's greater plan. We might uh, paraphrase uh, Proverbs 16, 33 this way, life is like a roll of the dice, but God is the one who is in charge of how the numbers come up. Having been outed by the casting of the lots, uh, Jonah confesses his true identity. He has already told them that he is running from the Lord, so now he tells them who he really is in verses 8 through 9. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Isn't it amazing how God works? We may run and run and run and run, but God will always bring us back again and again to the place where we finally have to tell the truth. Jonah has been living like a pagan, but in truth, the pagans are living far above his level. There's another way to look at this. You can be a pagan or you can be a Christian, but you can't be both at the same time. So the lesson, I think, is if we're going to be a Christian, then be one. If you're going to be a Christ follower, put on the uniform and get in the game. If you're not going to do that, turn in the uniform or join another team. See, the world expects us as Christ followers to act like Christ followers. Actually, we can strengthen that statement. The world wants us to act like who we say we are. And if we're going to be a Christian, be one. Live like one. Act like one. Talk like one. Pray like one. And if we're going to call on the name of the Lord, do that or go join another team. Why confuse things by calling ourselves Christians and not acting like one? See, the world is waiting for 
real believers who are not afraid to stand up and for what they believe, even when it means in, that we might be in opposition to the crowd. The people of the world today want Christ followers who are real, who are authentic. But the second point I wanna make is that God makes us face the consequences of our own foolish behavior. You know, things are about to get worse for Jonah. Jonah knows that everything that's going on is totally his fault. So when the sailors ask what they should do to make the seas calm again, he offers the only solution that makes sense. Look at verses 10 through 12. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do that? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea. Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. But that's not what they did, at least not immediately. Verse 13, instead the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them and they could not make it. When Jonah said, throw me overboard, these non-believers wouldn't do that. They started rowing even harder to get to the shore. Notice that at this point, these ungodly men in the boat have more compassion than the prophet of God. They care more about him than he does about them. By the way, it's always uh, important that we be careful about deciding who's on God's side and who's not. Don't be too quick to jump to conclusions about other people. Things aren't always as they appear on the surface. Now think about this story for a moment. There is one prayer and only one recorded in this entire chapter, of first, the first chapter of Jonah. And it's not Jonah who's doing the praying. It's the non-believers. So don't assume that you can judge the hearts of all the people around you. Let God do the judging. Sometimes non-believers can act with more compassion than those of us who call ourselves Christ followers. This is how the sailors prayed. They cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Now in the Hebrew language, There are a number of different words for God. Words like El or Elohim are descriptive words for God, names for God, and the the one that we wanna focus on today is Yahweh. Yahweh was the covenant name for God. It's the name that the Jews used when they spoke of the God who had made promises to Israel. It was the most sacred name for God in the Old Testament. It's the name God gave to Moses at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter three. Three times the Hebrew word Yahweh is used in verse 14. They cried out to the Lord, O Lord, O Lord. These pagans were crying out to the God of the Bible, to the covenant keeping God of Israel. Do you see what's happening here? In verse five, each man is crying out to his own God, but by verse 14, these men have started praying to the God of Israel, the one true Lord of Lords. There has been an incredible change. 
As Jonah begins to wake up and come to his senses spiritually, God works in the heart of these pagans so that they begin to cry out in desperation. So we see the great hand of God at work in every part of this story, in every part of this situation. The Lord often uses desperate times in our life to wake us up so that we will cry out to him. He does that for Jonah and also for the non-believing sailors who suddenly don't look like they're pagan anymore. Check out the theology at the end of their prayer. Verse 14, O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Not long ago, these men were worshiping their own gods, and now they proclaim the sovereignty of the one true God. So they throw Jonah overboard, and the next, uh, and the text says in verse 15, then the sailors picked Jonah up and they threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. These sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and they vowed to serve him. We learn two important points here, one from Jonah and one from the sailors. From Jonah's side, we learn that the storms continue until we stop running from God. The storms in our life will continue until we stop running from God. We generally have smooth sailing at first when we go our own way. Things look pretty rosy. Life is good because disobedience always brings a temporary reward. But the storms will come sooner or later. And those storms are sent by God in his mercy to bring us to our senses and lead us to a place of repentance. And though the voyage into sin may start with a celebration, it always ends with a raging storm. God makes sure of that. From the sailor's side, we see something amazing happening. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. They offered him a sacrifice, and they vow to start serving him. Now, these words here really matter. The Hebrew word for Lord, as I said, is Yahweh, the name for the God of Israel. And while Jonah is over here bobbing up and down in the water, there's a revival that has broken out on the boat. And suddenly this boat is filled with enthusiastic worshipers of the one true God. And where's the boat going? Well, it's still headed for Tarshish. You know what? God loves Tarshish too. And now he's got a boatload of baby missionaries headed in that direction. Look how this story turns out. These pagan sailors are now worshiping the Lord while Israel's reluctant prophet is floundering around out in the sea. And while the sailors are praising God, the boat sails across the horizon horizon, leaving Jonah doing the doggy paddle out in the middle of the ocean. Jonah expects to die. That actually is a good place for him to be. He would rather die in the sea than run from God any longer. But you know that the theme of this series is about grace, changed by grace. So notice what happens next, and this is the third key point I want us to hear today. God reveals his grace in the midst of the judgment. This is the part of the story that we know best. Verse 17, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. 
Now note that the text does not say God created a great fish. It says that God, what? Arranged for a great fish. It doesn't say it was a whale, could have been a whale, but we don't know that for sure. And we often focus on the identity of the fish when clearly to the story it doesn't matter. I imagine in my mind the Lord saying to this great fish, hey, I've got a job for you to do. Yes, sir. So he gave the fish the GPS coordinates and said, be there at precisely this time. Yes, sir. There's a man who's going to flop right in front of you, and I want you to swallow him whole, but don't chew him up. And then I'll give you further instructions later. Yes, sir. You know, as, as with everything else in this story, the fish obeys God better than Jonah has. Who sent the great fish? Same person who arranged the boat. Same person who arranged the casting of lots to fall on Jonah. Same person who sent the great storm. It's God who does it all. Why did God send the fish? For two reasons. First, to rescue Jonah from the sea. God hadn't sent the fish, Jonah would have died out there in the ocean. But secondly, God sent the fish to bring Jonah to repentance. Maybe you're here today and you've been running from God. Maybe you've been just kind of doing your own thing. You've gotten away from church. You've gotten away from spiritual things. You've gotten away from God. And you're in a place of just kind of running in some other direction. I've got some good news for you. It's never too late to stop running. Don't wait for the storm. And please don't wait for the great fish. Let me offer a word of hope for those who may have, maybe it's not you, but you have friends and loved ones who at this very moment are running from God as fast as they can. Maybe it's a son or a daughter. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's parents. You know, it's at the end of a story uh, that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. We talked about this story a little bit last week. It's the story of the prodigal son. It's a parable that Jesus taught um, about someone who ran from God. This young man asked his father for his inheritance. He took all the money. He ran from God. He went and kind of lived a wild life for a while, and pretty soon that failed, and he ended up living among the pigs and uh, being hungry and cold and ready to come back home. And that's where the story picks up in verse 17 of Luke 15. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as one of your hired servants. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, and he embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. 
Meanwhile, the older son was out in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he told them, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years, I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering his money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I know that some of you have been praying for people in your life that have left and gone into the far country. I know that some of you have been praying for that prodigal. I'm encouraging you today from this story to do two things. Make sure you know where to buy a fatted calf (laughs) because you're gonna want to be ready to celebrate one day. And I think that's the attitude the story teaches us. In the meantime, we can comfort ourselves with this thought about prodigals in our life. Whoever they may be, God knows where they are. God knows what they're doing. God knows how to reach them. And God knows how to bring them back. But between now and then, never, never, never give Keep believing, keep praying for the day when God will reach out in his mighty hand and bring his prodigal sons and daughters back to himself. Well, Jonah's in the belly of the whale, and that's where we're going to leave him today. So come back next week and see what happens next in Jonah's life. It's a great story. There's great lessons for us. Let's pray together. Father, as you did for Jonah, we pray that you would do now for our loved ones. Even after a message like this, it's often easy to feel hopeless about people that have rejected you, have gone a different path, who don't seem to care, who don't seem to connect to faith anymore. They seem so far from you. They seem to be having such a good time, but you know where they are and you know how to touch them. So do whatever it takes today to bring them home to you and grant us grace to wait. Grant us the faith to believe in the growing confidence that one day that fatted calf will be put to good use at last. And may we never, ever give up hope, but keep believing that as you brought Jonah back, you'll do the same for the prodigals in our life that we love so much. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.